to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman on the day after week nine. I can't believe it's already week nine going into week 10 of the college football season. Uh, On this podcast the other day, Bruce, we had John Hayes on, Penn State guy, and I asked you guys, do you think Ohio State, Penn State will still be a game going into the fourth quarter? Not only was it a game going to the fourth quarter, Penn State was winning this game with nine minutes left, and then all hell broke loose. You were there. Tell us about Ohio State, Penn State. Yeah, it was a great atmosphere. Um, I think even though it wasn't a whiteout at night, you know, the the Penn State fans really show up and they really support their, their school, and that was neat to see. Um we had perfect weather. It was interesting because when we get there, it's really early just because of our pregame show. And it was like 29 degrees driving in. And when the time I walked out to get to get on the field, which is, I don't know, two and a half hours before kickoff, I mean, it felt like I didn't feel like I needed, needed my sport coat. I felt like I could have just walked out there with a shirt on. You know, it was that comfortable and sunny and it was nice. Um, you know, I thought... Penn State had a lot of guys really show up that you're like, okay, physically you see, I'm not saying they have, they match Ohio State talent for talent because they don't, but they have a bunch of guys who you'd say, okay, those guys could definitely play at Ohio State and they could play, not just be on the roster. Um, You know, a couple, the thing that was interesting to me, Stu, is before the game got out of hand, which is really late in the game, you you know, as you said, Penn State was right in and and leading late. Um, Penn State had three turnovers. You know, one of them was a was a batted ball. I think it's for quarterbacks. You kind of cringe. It's just you know, it's not necessarily on on uh, Sean Clifford. But then there was other moments where it was just like, you know, you can't afford to have those kind of mistakes against a team as talented as Ohio State. And I think we saw it. It kind of played out how we thought it was going to play out. Now we did not expect JT two and Malowal to be. Um, to have one of the best defensive performances we probably have seen in a while by a defensive lineman. I mean, he made huge plays. And ultimately, those plays, whether it was early in the game to give, you know, to kind of get Ohio State going or later in the game to blow the game open, that was the difference, right? And um, so um, credit to Ohio State. That's a tough environment to, to, to be in. I think, you know, when I look at Penn State and where they are, um, you know, I think it's a, a good chance to go 10 and two and they they're clearly a notch below Michigan and Ohio State right now. But they're still, I would say, probably one of the best 12 teams in the country and maybe more than that. I'm very interested to see what happens next year, because most of the best players in this program are like are young players. Now, a couple of them are really young players who just, you know, are still probably going to go to the NFL early. you know, their left tackles a big time talent and everything. And they have scouts like him. But when you look at the running backs, you look at Abdul Carter, who's a tremendous talent on defense as a freshman linebacker. Um, and you hear what you hear from the people inside the program about Drew Aller, who is a huge freshman quarterback who came in with a lot of hype. And internally, they love him. You know, big arm, you know, kind of a wow arm, has the intangible it factor from the people inside the program who know some quarterbacks that I, you know, having talked to yesterday and previously. Um, I think there's reasons to be encouraged, but again, you know, they've struggled in the big games and this was just another one where it was like, it was bittersweet. They didn't, they weren't embarrassed, but they also didn't win. Yeah. And I think that, you know, when you talk about looking forward to next year and I hate, you know, 
we always talk about being careful about criticizing college athletes, but I don't think there's any doubt that everybody involved is ready to move on from the Sean Clifford era. And I just, I didn't think that once, once Travion Henderson scored that touchdown to, to reclaim the lead, I just like, I did could not see a scenario where Sean Clifford was going to lead them down the field for the winning touchdown. And of course it actually went the opposite. Like you said, I'm, it is rare for one defensive player to have so many game-changing plays. In fact, this is from Jason Starrett yesterday. FBS players this century with two interceptions, two sacks, a forced fumble, and a fumble recovery in the same game, JT Tui Maloa. That's it. So it's a historic performance. And it came from a guy who had not really broken out yet. He's a five-star recruit from Seattle area. Uh, I think people are anticipating he could he could be their next Chase Young or Joey Bosa, but he had really just started to have an impact this year. And then he goes out and does this, and he's you know probably going to win every National Defensive Player of the Week award and whatnot. It was also a big game, I thought, for Marvin Harrison Jr. And uh, you know, several times during the game, Joel Klatt or, or Gus Johnson, I don't remember which or both referred to him as the best receiver in the country, but you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. How I, by the way, for whatever, for my two cents, I would agree with that. Well, think about that may be true, but think about what we're saying. Chris Olave and Chris and, and Garrett Wilson were first round picks. Jackson Smith and Jigba, who unfortunately has been hurt for most of the season, was going to be that next guy. And now we're saying Marvin Harrison Jr., best receiver in the country. This is an insane assembly line of receivers. Yeah, um, look, he was Marvin Harrison Jr. was my number two overall guy on our freaks list this year. He is bigger than all those receivers, considerably bigger. Six, was, he's almost 6'4, 210 pounds. He almost benches 400 pounds, which is a ton for any receiver, pretty much anyone, but especially a receiver. His shuttle times are in the three nines, and he broad jumps almost 11 feet. He is a completely different kind of athlete than all those guys you mentioned who kind of largely are, I want to say, average size receivers. They're not big receivers, and he is more explosive than them. And we saw him make competitive catches. We, You know, he is he is everything there in terms of when you talk to people inside the program about how, you know, he's not Calvin Johnson. You know, Calvin Johnson's obviously way bigger. You know, but he is a very he's a big receiver who who with the agility and the and the explosiveness of a much smaller receiver. And he's also a very polished receiver. And, you know, if you said to me, who's the best receiver in the country? And I know other guys are putting up big numbers. And I know Quentin Johnston at TCU is a is a freak athlete of similar talent or similar athleticism. I would still say and I wouldn't really hesitate on it that it's Marvin Harrison, the guy I've seen the last couple of weeks. So the interesting thing is, as we, you know, we're about to turn the corner here to, to Tennessee, Georgia in a second. As we think about, can Ohio State, first of all, beat Michigan? And secondly, get into a playoff and beat those SEC teams. For all the hoopla over C.J. Stroud and Marvin Harrison and Travion Henderson and that offense, to me, the story of Ohio State this season is that Jim Knowles has come in and done exactly what we thought he might do, turning that defense, which wasn't very good last year, into a top 10 defense. And you saw yesterday, like I thought what stood out about last year was we're just we just are so used to them always having an all-American defensive lineman or more. <laughs> and they just didn't have that last year. 
now we've really seen that 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 group get a lot better not just jt michael hall jr um uh zach harrison who had a huge game you already had pretty good linebackers like this is you know this is a legit defense and frankly uh probably better than than tennessee's defense for one so um that that definitely gives me some confidence in ohio state and yet there are to me there are four really good teams in the country this season of which they are one and i don't know how it's going to shake out exactly one of those four is michigan michigan took care of business against michigan state this turned into a really ugly situation um after the game and it's interesting this one sports writer in detroit matt charbonneau caught this i don't know 30 60 second video of what happened in the tunnel we don't know what happened before that or that would have caused you know set up this situation but the part that he caught is a large throng of michigan state players beating the living crap out of a michigan player and then jim harbaugh said afterward there were two players who he said got assaulted which is a strong word and yet kind of in line with what we saw in that video there could be some pretty severe repercussions here for michigan state including i mean this the police are involved in the investigation um this is not a guys got you know jostled with each other in the you know we this is not the first time there's been like some sort of situation in the tunnel in michigan which by the way is just ripe for disaster this narrow tunnel that both teams have to go through but this wasn't like guys jawing at each other this was you know if this happened in real life everybody would get arrested so when i say real life like outside of a football stadium um and then Mel Tucker comes into his press conference afterward and they ask him about it. He says, I don't know what happened, which maybe he didn't, but all in all, just a terrible look for Michigan state. Yeah. I think, I look, I think it's, it's, it's bad all the way around in the, in the big 10. I, you know, I got to see the video you were talking about. I think it's a 32nd clip and you see some things because you see the player number one for Michigan kind of eventually almost like scurry away after it looks like and you can't like at least this the, what i remember seeing and i i again i was seeing it while trying to stream anything on a on an airplane without much wi-fi i was sure you know if there is there more to what you know obviously is there more that i that you're not seeing here but it looks you know it's one of those things where you i from that video from that reporter it looked really bad it was the kind of thing where you couldn't see like the actual like it looked like he's getting kicked while he's down but you couldn't really see that right you just right. you see somebody was on the ground you couldn't really tell at least i couldn't really tell exactly what was going on now when they use the term when when jim harbour used the term assault you know i suspect there were there were a bunch of other people who are witnesses to it who maybe didn't have either their phones ready or not and I'm, I'm curious as to how much, you know, cause if that one reporter was there um, and it's, you know, it's timing, we've all been in different at games where you're in different places than other reporters at different times. But I imagine a lot more people saw that they just may not have had video of it. And so, um, as you said, this is going to be an, this is going to be a, a, an investigation that's going to, we're going to have to, you know, really keep an eye on as it, as it plays out, because I think, you know, Kevin Warren being there, I think it really, um, is, is it's kind of a nightmare scenario for the big 10, to be honest. Yeah. And, and you, like you said, I mean, even in the video, you could see other people holding up their phones. 
I'm sure there's other footage that captures stuff that happened before or after that, that people just didn't tweet it. Um, they're probably people involved in the program. So if they're going to do an investigation, who knows what else that might turn up? Um, it just, just to, you know, I think a really. I also assume, by the way, I don't know, like a lot of times broadcast networks, especially like that was, I think an ABC game where they have so many cameras. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they have their own footage of some, you know, of something, maybe not exactly what Matt Charbonneau had, but things like that because we've seen a bunch of stuff where camera people have you know have footage inside the tunnel it's not uncommon so yeah it's possible although with the game being over i don't know that why they would have kept kept going but um first of all i think michigan needs to re-examine how they handle the teams getting i mean i don't you 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 they should be they should be like basically holding one team back. And they the should. I mean, in their like, locker room. I mean, look, there's plenty of stadiums you and I have been in. I mean, I can think of like certainly the uh, the Coliseum at USC. They both go through the same tunnel to go to their locker rooms. Their locker rooms are basically next to each other. Uh, the tunnel is wider, but it's still you can't. You know, it's it's problematic. Maybe if they both exit the field at the same time, especially in a rivalry game like that. Mel Tucker's been taking a lot of flack this year because, of course, he got the huge fully guaranteed $95 million contract before last season was even over. And they're just, they're bad this year. There's no other way around it. Um, then it was kind of, then in a, a moment that if, if what happened after the game hadn't happened, this would have been the thing people were talking about. Molly McGrath, friend of the podcast reports at halftime coming out of halftime that Mel Tucker told her Michigan can't cover our receivers. She said that he said that multiple times. Well, Michigan state got shut out in the second half. So, um, you know, we saw, I talked about earlier, I think earlier this week, clearly not having Kenneth Walker or having Kenneth Walker last year was a huge part of that team's success. Um, but I also said, look, whatever happens this year is not that important. They, they had that great year last year, they're recruiting well, but you know, that was, that was given he had beaten Michigan the first two years and we figured Michigan would, would get it back this year. Um, but that just turned into a whole ugly, uh, episode. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second, but now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 
2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So next week, we are going to have a good one. We are going to have number one, Tennessee at number three, Georgia. And that's using the AP rankings. It's entirely possible when the committee rankings come out on Tuesday that that becomes a one versus two game, depending on how they view um, Tennessee relative to Ohio State. I could see that one going either way. Um, We spent time on the podcast on Wednesday debating whether Tennessee was more likely to go 12 and 0 or 10 and 2. 10 and 2 likely would have required losing that game to Kentucky. Not only did they not lose, they won 44 to 6. And it's just now I'm ready to say, I wasn't ready to say it before, but I do think this team, this Tennessee team, has 2019 LSU vibes to it in that, and I'm not like trying to compare their, their receivers versus LSUs or anything like that. Just the swagger of that team where you just, it just, they know you're not going to stop their offense. Um, Jalen Hyatt, who after the Alabama game, you got to think Kentucky's game plan heavily revolved around trying to stop that guy was still running wide open on long touchdowns in the first half. I thought Kirk, Kirk Herbstreit did a really good job of illustrating after the fact, the way Tennessee basically right before the snap, he changes places with the other receiver and just completely fool Kentucky safety. So as they go into this Georgia game, Georgia will still be the favorite. They're the defending national champs. They took care of business against Florida, but we have seen games. And I think of the LSU Alabama game in 2019, where it almost doesn't matter what the other team does. They're going to score their points. Do you feel like after, you know, both teams took care of business this week, have your thoughts changed at all about how this game might play out? Uh, I think I'm expecting more of a shootout score wise. Um, you know, you look at what, let's take the Alabama game, which obviously was a shootout, out for a second. You got the LSU and Kentucky team. Now, I don't think either one of those have, are anywhere near as talented as Georgia. Um, but they, Tennessee beat them so badly. It was a combined 84 to 19 in those two games. Um, that is that is a huge beatdown. And I'm, I'm excited to see this game. I'm like, this is the the most excited i've been for an sec regular season game in probably in probably since lsu alabama the joe yep. burke year i mean um because when you look at this you know look the tennessee alabama game was a great game i think it surprised a bunch of us because now um tennessee has taken big strides to get there so now let's see let's i mean this is a real test for georgia Right. Um, and it, you know, it's interesting because like, I, you know, Florida had some pretty good teams and certainly Kentucky was 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 good, but not to to this degree where it felt like this is an SEC East heavyweight matchup. No. You know, like it's different. You know, it's been a while since Florida has been been anywhere near this dangerous. Right. We know George has been awesome, but um, you mean Tennessee? No, I mean, for the last five, six years, we know it's been awesome. You said it's been a while since Florida was this dangerous. I know. I'm saying, I'm talking about an S. No, I'm saying what I'm saying. I'm saying in an SEC's game, 
Like Tennessee has been really bad for a long time. Right. That is, I'm just saying Florida's had some pretty good teams. Florida hasn't had anybody who I feel like is as good as this Tennessee team. Oh, I see. You know, like that's why I'm just, oh, this is an SEC East heavyweight game. Again, it just didn't feel like, um, you know, it just feels way different now because you have that win against Alabama. Now, I mean, again, I think, I don't know. Are you ready to pick the game? No, I'm not ready to pick the game, but I think it's much more like I saw. We, we haven't seen the point official point spread yet, but as of Saturday night, there was some suggestion it might be double digits. And I don't I don't think it's that kind of game. Georgia has taken care of business this year, and and I still think they've got a great defense. Brock Bowers is a matchup nightmare. They can run the ball when they need to, but it's not 2021 Georgia. Like they're not that dominant. And and frankly, Tennessee um, offense on that side of the ball is dominant. Now, I saw some references on Twitter last night to Tennessee having the 130th ranked passing defense. That is a relic of, of people who still look at total yards as if that's remotely relevant. Now let's, let's check here. First of all, they completely shut down Will Levis, the supposed uh, number one pick or candidate for number one pick. They picked him off three times. Um, they're not great by any means, but I don't know that you have to be great on defense to win a national title when you've got that kind of um, firepower on offense. Tennessee is 51st in yards per attempt allowed. So middle of the pack. Um, you know, I think they can definitely win this game. Obviously, if it were in Knoxville, I would pick the Vols. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. It's a little tougher when you're going to Athens. But that 2019 game we keep referencing, I mean, that was LSU going to Tuscaloosa and winning. So it can be done. And if that happens, my goodness, uh, to go from what Tennessee's been the last 15 16 years to if they win the game they're clearly going to move to number one in the country is is just remarkable yeah i uh, can't wait for that one uh two really good games in the in the sec next week lsu i mean when you relegate oh, lsu bama to the to the to the espn game that's that's pretty remarkable you're right like the idea that an sec east game is getting the cbs game over lsu alabama is is wild yeah, look, I think some of this is Tennessee beat the crap out of LSU at LSU. You know, it's not like LSU is, you know, I don't think anybody looks at LSU as like, ooh, they, they win this no. like a playoff team. But whereas Tennessee, it's just, this is a this is a massive game. Can't wait for it. Well, yes, I mean, it's massive. It's national title implications. LSU is not going to win the national title, obviously. But, I mean, they've got a chance to knock Alabama out of the SEC title game in early November, which would be, um, I mean, I thought coming into the season, this was going to be an absolutely dominant Alabama team. They have not been uh, for much of the season, um, though one one might say half, glass half full. They went to Tennessee, committed a gazillion penalties, and still almost won that game. So I'm not writing off Alabama yet by any means. But, I mean, you've got a three-way tie atop the West right now. LSU, Ole Miss, Alabama, four and one. Obviously, you know, LSU now has a tiebreaker over Ole Miss. So it's not inconceivable if LSU wins this game that they're going to go to the SEC title game in the first year under Brian Kelly. Like, it's not quite Tennessee uh, meteoric rise, but that would that would be something. Well, let's see them win this game before you. I, yeah. mean, that's, I mean, that's right now. This is I think it's a long stretch to expect anything like that. But 
but fun weekend ahead of us. Um, so it I didn't was... get much last night because of, like I said, I was on a, on a long flight home. What did I oh. miss? Aside from one thing I did want to touch on, Big, T- Big 12 was wildly unpredictable. I did not expect Oklahoma State to get shut out and get beat by 48 points. Like right. we were watching some of that game in the airport before we left. And it was 35 to nothing. And I was like, holy cow, K-State is doing this without Adrian Martinez. And you just don't see Oklahoma State, even when they get whipped by, you know, in Bedlam in some of those years, they didn't get whipped like this. I think that, I mean, I, I think I read on, on um, Twitter, I brought back your, your body blow theory. Um, it's been a while since I've heard you invoke the body blow theory, but I just think uh, Oklahoma State had nothing left in the tank. After two weeks ago going to overtime against TCU and last week coming back in the fourth quarter to beat Texas because they just didn't show up. Uh, but credit to Chris Kleiman, who is now four and two against top 10 teams at Kansas State and Will Howard, who, like you said, you know, has had to wait his turn twice now. You know, I think a lot he, he probably thought after last season he'd be the guy this year. And then they bring in Adrian Martinez. Uh, he had he threw for four touchdowns. He had a phenomenal game. And what that means is, you said it, you're right, it's been, the Big 12 has been very fun this year, very, um, you never know quite what to expect from one week to the next, but at the end of the day, you know, TCU goes and takes care of business at West Virginia, they're 8-0, 5-0 in the conference, K-State is now 4-1 in the conference, and they're both a game, at least a game up on everybody else, so right now, if you were betting on it, I think, you know, we saw TCU K-State a week ago, um, that they're they're putting themselves in really good position to be in the Big 12 title game. TCU would have to absolutely collapse not to be. And K-State is sitting there, um, you know, forward one. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, Oklahoma State is not out of it, but they've lost to those two teams. So they would need some some help to get back into the mix. Texas as well. TCU, I did I did watch, you know, quite a bit of their West Virginia game. And that's one of those games, you know, you're going to Morgantown. That that's a possible trap game. And and they struggle with them for a while. That was a that was a game pretty much, you know, almost down to the end. Well, yes and no. Uh yes, T- West Virginia cut the lead to 3, but they could not stop. I mean, TCU's offense is just big play after big play after big play. So yeah, there were moments when they weren't really moving the ball. But then they'd score 71 yard touchdown or 55 yard touchdown or 51 yard touchdown. Um, and then the last, I mean, the, the the play that sealed it was was so Sunny Dykes and so TCU this year. It's they're up three. It's fourth and one with 26 seconds left at the West Virginia 29. What do you think they're gonna do, right? Either kick the field goal or uh hand off, get the first down, run the clock down. Uh Max Duggan drops back and just lofts a pass high up in the air. To Savion Williams, who catches it, touchdown, game over. Yeah, um, I'm excited to see these guys. A uh, big noon is going to Fort Worth next weekend, and we have TCU and get to see them in person. I'm looking forward to TCU's always. Congrats on getting out of the Ohio State Michigan uh, streak. You're going to get to see another part of the country, another conference. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, at the beginning of the year, we went to Texas for Texas, Alabama, and now. Um, back at it, so it should be fun. Um, I think it's really cool moment for the for the big for the new Big Twelve, the post Texas Oklahoma Big Twelve, for a TCU Texas Tech game to get the spotlight. 
Speaking of the Big 12, the new Big 12, we're going to take a moment. I usually these Sunday podcasts are all about either usually mostly about the games or sometimes a coach getting fired. Today, we have a TV deal to talk about the news breaking on Sunday morning from SBJ that Brett Yormark has done what he said he was going to do and gotten a new TV deal before the Pac-12s, which we was, you know, uh, supposed to get done 16 months before theirs. And it's good money. And I will flat out admit on the podcast, I totally undershot what I thought they could get uh, after Texas and OU left. Um, the, the market skyrocketed. It really did. $380 million per year on average is going to come out to about $31.6 million per school once Texas and OU leave. That is uh, a slight bump. I believe this past year they were making $28 million per so you take Texas and OU out, you bring in, you know, three AAC schools and BYU, and you get even slightly more money than you did before. That is a huge win to me. Live events. The only thing you have right now basically is live sports. And that is a big, attractive ticket in terms of that, because it's just you can't, you know, you can't DVR it. You can't work around it. And I think that's one thing that people are paying for. Look, and you know, if you're the Pac-12, I think you got to be optimistic seeing this this figure, to be honest. Okay, so let's explain why, because this whole thing has been written and positioned as, again, the Big 12 had decided to go 16 months earlier than what was in the contract, asked ESPN and Fox if they wanted to open uh, renegotiation early, exclusive renegotiation. So they didn't take it to the open market like the Pac-12 is. They got it done. Um, and all along, this has been painted as they're going to move out in front of the PAC 12 and possibly get PAC 12 schools to join them because of it. So because that narrative is out there, I definitely see a lot of people on Twitter this morning saying, well, the PAC 12 is screwed. Well, I think think it's good news for the PAC 12. I think that there's, that there's money out there because the PAC 12 does have a late night window to market. The other thing that I think, you know, having had some discussions about this the Big 12 basketball piece of this is significant, right? In terms of it's a really, really strong brand. And I think that helps this. Whereas with the Pac-12, yes, Arizona basketball is an attractive thing, but I think it's it's not going to carry it anywhere near that. But you have a lot of strong basketball programs in the Big 12. And I think normally we only think of football, but in this case, I think just from things I've heard, at least from, you know, certainly where I work, I know that's made it an attractive part of that too. Yeah. If the, so in terms of the, you know, the, the PAC 12, I just think that what we are seeing is, you know, you see these huge numbers. So the numbers aren't like they pale compared to NFL football numbers for TV, but they're still really big numbers. Um, Now the numbers and for the other big 12 brands, They're not certainly Big Ten and SEC numbers, but I just think that it's hard for for networks to find anything that's close to that right now in this day and age where so many people are onto their phones and different things. And it's just not it's not straight programming like that. The thing I, I hear all the time from TV people is the live sports are hard to replicate. And I just think you have you know, what you have is a good product. It may not have the biggest brands behind it, but I think, you know, it's consistent, at least in that regard. I mean, live sports are at a premium and um, 
even though you have no national big brands left in the Big 12. Uh, first of all, like you said, I mean, if the, if the Big 12 ends up getting more money than the Pac-12, basketball will probably have made the difference because I don't think Pac-12 basketball rights are worth much of anything. And you don't normally hear that in conference, you know, anything with uh, realignment, TV and whatnot. But I also found this uh, passage from from John Oran's story very interesting. And and I, you know, I believe it. He, he knows what's going on. The Big 12's parody helped convince Fox, whose package includes 26 football games per season that will run on Fox and FS1 to do the deal. From Fox's perspective, the silver lining to the loss of Oklahoma and Texas is that the Big 12 will be more balanced and potentially deeper. For example, TCU and Kansas State sit atop the standings this season, and last season it was Oklahoma State and Baylor, and the year before that it was Iowa State. So that you would have thought would be the, um, how do I say this? A negative. A negative, because you don't have the big national brands that have competed for and I, this is mostly Oklahoma recently, obviously, competed for playoffs and national championships. But in the new environment where you're going to have a 12-team playoff where the Big 12 champ is going to make the playoff every year, almost every year, if not every year, somebody of TCU, K-State, Oklahoma State, Baylor, maybe Cincinnati or whoever, is going to reach the playoff. And those games are going to matter for that reason. And so I think they benefit big time from – from it's like perfect timing that we know there's the playoff a playoff expansion, playoff coming. I think, yeah. Just as, and that's why I think the Pac-12 will do do as well or better because they're in they're the going to be mode. in the same. They're going to be in the same position largely. The wrinkle is that George. So it's basically they're taking two polar opposite strategies. You know, Brett Yormark's priority was getting it done fast, and the way you do that is to renew with your existing partners. Show of strength. Hey, you guys thought we were done. Look at us. We're making even more money. Whereas George Klyokov is clearly focused on making as much money as possible, in part to try to prevent more teams from leaving. Although I don't think that's the Big Ten comes calling. The Big Ten comes calling, and to they do, also may have non-traditional partners involved in this too. Exactly. So his thing is he's he's he clearly the the message has been telegraphed through the media. They want Amazon. I don't know how much Amazon wants them, but they want Amazon, and. Um, well, hopefully they'll get better games than Amazon's getting from the NFL right now. <laughs> Ouch. Well, that's the thing. I don't, I personally don't know why Amazon would be that motivated to get, unless they're getting the best Pac-12 game. And I don't think they would, the Pac-12 would do that. Like these are not needle moving games that are going to be getting in the Pac-12, but he's doing it because he thinks they'll get more money that way. And it's not like, I mean, the big 12 will have games on ESPN plus. In a, in a sign of the times, Oklahoma's game this coming weekend is on ES, Oklahoma Baylor is on ESPN plus. So it's not like they're not doing streaming. They are. It's just under a different name. But he clearly thinks they'll make more money by bringing in. Look, that's generally the case, right? If you open it to the open market, you should make more money that way. So um, that I think the news on there now that the Big 12 is done, I would assume Pac-12 news will be coming within a month, maybe a little bit more. Um, again, we got to keep things in perspective. The big 10 just signed a TV deal worth 70 something million. I think over just over 70 million for school, 75, maybe. And here we are, the big 12 celebrating getting less than half of that, but it is, you know, it's more than the ACC is locked into, which is pretty remarkable given the ACC has Clemson and Florida state and Miami. 
um, by the way, but you know, we talked about other earlier in the podcast about other videos and camera angles being shown. Yeah, I definitely, there's a, there's a one that I just saw on my timeline about the second player Jim Harbaugh was referring to, and he's getting, there's a bunch of Michigan state players around him and somebody's wailing on him from behind. All not right. good. Like I said earlier, not good. Um, all right, let's do some shout outs. All right. Uh, I'm going to go first. I'm going to give a shout out to a former guest of the audible. Um, it's kind of a former neighbor of mine, Jim Mora, uh, big win for the Yukon Husky. Yukon football has been a punchline for a long, big long. win. So they beat Boston college yesterday. Boston college is struggling with regardless of that. This is a team stew that had not won more than two games in a season since 2017. And they're now four and five. That is a, you know, pretty terrific first season for Jim Mora. Good for him. Good for the Huskies. They've had some hardships. They lost, you know, Taquan Roberson was a Penn State transfer who they were hope optimistic about. He got hurt in the opener and they just kept, kept battling. And, um, you know, good for the Huskies. I mean, that's a football program that I think has been left for dead for a long time. Absolutely. Four and five. They play UMass still. UMass, I would assume they'll, I mean, strange to say this, but I assume UConn will win. So now you're at five wins. And then Army, who's not having a great year, do we dare to dream UConn to a bowl game? Sure, why not? It's, it's just the season. As I said at the end of Final Thoughts, it's this could be a season where UConn makes a bowl and Texas A&M does not. Um, Ouch. Would not have seen that coming before the season. Um, Okay, let's let me give a shout out to another uh, recently fired Power Five coach who is now doing good things somewhere else. And that would be Gus Malzahn. Um, UCF ends Cincinnati's 19-game conference winning streak and now puts them and now has themselves in the mix to reach the conference title game. Clearly, Cincinnati's not as great as they have been the last couple of years, and that's not surprising given the players they've lost. But what what uh, was remarkable is that Cincinnati actually took the lead late in the game and UCF, which was down to its backup quarterback still drove the field and won the game. So big, that's obviously the biggest win he's had since he's been there. Yeah. Also, I want to give a second shout out. And this one is to Scott Satterfield at Louisville. Mm -hmm. They, his, he, his seat got scorching hot when they lost to that Boston college team, the same one that UConn just beat. Um, Since then, they have won three in a row. They're getting a ton of tur- turnovers, generating a ton of sacks. They absolutely hammered number 10 Wake Forest uh, yesterday. And I'm guessing you did not see how this unfolded. I did not know. Okay. <laughs> we I, should talk. I, we I should... did know, uh, but I do know some of what, because I've talked to one of their coaches about what they did to try to, you know, get things going on defense. But well, kudos to their defense. Uh, Wake Forest only had five turnovers coming into this game, coming into this game for the whole season. They had seven in the third quarter, Bruce, seven turnovers. It was something to behold. Sam Hartman, who great player, one of the last guys I would have expected this to happen to just kept getting sacked, fumbling, throwing interceptions. Louisville would convert Louisville. uh, Wake Forest was winning the game coming out of halftime. And by the time the third quarter was over, it was a complete route. I've n- never seen that. I, I Somebody pointed out Miami had eight turnovers the week before in their game. 
So it's not like eight turnovers is unprecedented. But again, seven of them were in one quarter. I I recommend if you haven't already to go watch the just just watch the highlights because you're never you're going to see just an absolute complete meltdown. Uh, They could not they could not protect him. And you could tell after a while he was just completely frazzled. Um, By the way, real quick, we, we spent a lot of time on Wednesday about the bad, bad Iowa offense. So let's give a shout out to Spencer Petrus and the Hawkeyes who put up 33 points. They found the one team that you could do that to. And it's the, unfortunately for my alma mater, the one in seven Northwestern Wildcats. We'll see if that is a sign of, of progress and things to come for the Hawkeyes or just the good fortune of getting to play that team when they did. Okay. As always, uh, send your questions to the audible pod at gmail.com. We will have more on the mailbag in a few days and we'll dig into what should be a very interesting week as well as the first CFP. Yeah. Let's specify that this, this week's second episode will be a quick reaction to the first CFP rankings, which I'm sure will have something in it. That'll get everybody outraged. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you.